Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burned in a COVID crackdown. Why a pair of North Vancouver firefighters are under investigation. Accelerating the rapid test rollout. With a new shipment arriving, who's first in line for the free kits? And affordable housing at any cost. We do see some areas where municipalities are simply refusing to approve necessary housing. How the BC government could step in if cities don't cooperate. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Global News has learned two firefighters from the city of North Vancouver are under investigation. The allegations are serious and concern a controversial new workplace policy. Ramina Dea now with the exclusive details. There is a code amongst firefighters and two things which are not tolerated are stealing and lying. Multiple sources tell Global News two City of North Vancouver firefighters allegedly provided false information to their employer about their COVID vaccination status. The fire chief, mayor, city officials, no one was prepared to answer questions on camera regarding this serious matter. As a result, we don't know if the members are still on active duty or if they've been suspended with or without pay while the investigation continues. In a statement, Fire Chief Greg Schalk told us he can't comment on specific employees for confidentiality reasons, but he made it clear that according to a new policy, the city required all employees to be fully vaccinated by January 25, 2022, unless they had a legitimate exemption. City staff, including firefighters, were required to produce significant proof of vaccination. Schalk said, quote, any employee found to have provided false or misleading information may also be subject to disciplinary action, up to and including termination of employment, and a full investigation would be undertaken. Now, one person who did comment on camera regarding the allegations is the province's top doctor. We do have ways of determining if, if a, a vaccine record is a, a true record, so I would encourage people um, to get the protection that you need, especially if you're in an important position like an emergency responder like firefighters are. Global News has identified one of the firefighters. We have reached out to him multiple times since Tuesday, but no response. We don't know when the investigation will be concluded or whether the outcome will be made public. Ramina Dea, Global News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced today he's revoking the Emergencies Act following the police operation that cleared the streets of Ottawa over the weekend. And today, after careful consideration, we're ready to confirm that the situation is no longer an emergency. Therefore, the federal government will be ending the use of the Emergencies Act. It was the responsible and necessary thing to do. The Prime Minister adds his government invoked the act with three principles in mind, 
including that peace and order be restored, that his government did it the right way, and that it was time-limited. The act had been set for a second vote in the Senate. A joint committee of parliamentarians will now review the declaration of the act within 60 days. An inquiry will look into the circumstances that led to its invocation. Rapid tests have been a hot item throughout the pandemic, and many people in B.C. have struggled to get their hands on one. Now the province is starting to hand them out to the general public, starting by age group. Richard Zussman has more on the rapid test rollout. One stomp closer to being in the hands of British Columbians. Rapid tests from truck to distribution centre, soon heading for the first time to anyone who wants one. There's a pent-up demand out there and we finally have enough that we can um, distribute them out more broadly to people. BC, the last jurisdiction in Canada to make home rapid tests available to the general population. Starting as early as Friday, those 70 years of age and older can get a COVID-19 rapid test. It will be one free kit of five tests available every 28 days. They will be available at pharmacies across the province. There's no timeline yet on when more age groups can access the tests, but with three million tests coming from Ottawa each of the next four weeks, the hope is soon. Really the thing that uh, will uh, decide how quickly we move through age groups, it will be how quickly we get rapid tests in. A friend or loved one can pick up the rapid tests for you, but they need your BC services card in order to do so. If you're currently symptomatic and over the age of 70, go get a PCR test instead and save those rapid tests for another time. These are for people to have at home to use when they need to make a decision about what to do when they have symptoms in the future. The test mostly helpful when used if symptomatic, if it's positive, report the result to the COVID Results BC CDC website, then self-isolate, manage symptoms, and notify close contacts. The program building on what is already being rolled out in schools, where all kids K-12 will eventually have access to one box of five tests. We could have certainly used rapid testing a year ago. Uh, it would have been absolutely supportive of the system, especially the stress levels that teachers have been under in terms of trying to keep everyone safe. The tests don't have to be used by the person who picked them up. Instead, they could be used for others as a screening tool if they are gathering in your home or a busy place. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers in our province. Right now, we have 653 people in hospital. 108 of those patients are in the ICU. One more person has died from complications of the virus. And we now have 799 new confirmed cases. Although, of course, that number might be much larger given the transmission in the community. Keith Baldry joins us now live from Victoria to talk more about Novavax, which has just been authorized for use in Canada. Keith, this vaccine might appeal to some who've been hesitant about the mRNA vaccines. Yeah, a pretty important and exciting development on the vaccination front, Chris. So Novavax has now been approved for use in Canada by Health Canada. It's a traditional form of vaccine. It's not, not an mRNA uh, vaccine. It's plant-based and insect-based. It's very similar to the influenza vaccine, hepatitis vaccines. So again, sort of a tried and true vaccine, as Dr. Bonnie Henry says. 4.5 million British Columbians have received one dose. That's not the issue. But 480,000 British Columbians over the age of five have yet to get a single dose of vaccine. The whole 
hope now is perhaps they will accept this vaccine over the other ones they've so far turned down. Here's Dr. Bonnie Henry. This is an important new uh, different class of vaccinations. It is what we call a, a protein subunit vaccine. It's another option for people who require immunization who've not yet been vaccinated and need it for work or for people who are healthcare worth workers, for example, for people who have had a reaction to an mRNA vaccine. Um, this is a, a, a perfectly good and valid option to, to make up those doses that you need to get full protection. So here, Dr. Henry, you referenced healthcare workers there, Chris. Of course, there is a, health, a vaccination mandate in place in BC's healthcare system. It covers about 129,000 healthcare workers. You have to be vaccinated to work in the healthcare system. But as of yesterday, 2,333 healthcare workers are not on the job because they can't. They're not allowed to because they have yet to be vaccinated. The hope is that perhaps Novavax appeals to them in a way other vaccines have not, and that would increase the size of the healthcare workforce. And that's good news. Yeah, it would be nice to get them all back to work. Thanks very much, Keith. The owners of a West Kelowna gym who have consistently defied public health orders amid the ongoing pandemic have been forced to close their doors. A little bit of sad news for you guys today. So we have lost the big fight to Big Brother. Co-owner Brad Godin confirmed the news during an Instagram video message to his members, which was posted Tuesday. Last week, Interior Health handed the gym's owners more than $7,200 worth of fines for the 21 consecutive days they stayed open in January, defying public health orders. Godin says the owners were told by public health officials it was either shut down or face criminal charges, perhaps even jail time. It's unclear how long the gym will stay closed, but Godin says when they are allowed to operate again, they will likely have to follow public health orders. BC's housing minister says too many cities are taking too long to approve new affordable housing projects, and he might step in to override their authority. As Ted Chernecki reports, David Eby says Victoria wants to work with municipalities, but he's prepared to act if they don't get the job done. The province seems to be hinting that some cities are worse than others at approving housing, like Vancouver. Billions of dollars are being poured into the subway line under Broadway, but where, asks the Attorney General, is the housing to support it? We do know that there are municipalities with uh, uh, significant transit investments coming, and we need to know that when that transit investment shows up, that the people uh, are able to find homes uh, that are affordable and that are in the area of those transit stations. There are some famous parcels of land, like the Kingsgate Mall, a prime site in East Vancouver that fails repeatedly to get developed into high-density housing. The power dynamic has shifted to people who are already housed. So you've got people who are already housed opposing housing for people who aren't housed. So it's a fundamentally flawed system. The province isn't saying specifically where the next push will come from to get more housing built faster, but BC will legislate changes if it has to. Obviously, uh, what we're looking to do is cooperate with muni municipalities and support them in their independent local government functions. But at the end of the day, we've got 25,000 uh, people coming to BC every three months, uh, in addition to uh, groups like international students that aren't even counted in that total. And municipalities simply are not approving enough housing in a timely enough way. While other states, provinces, and even countries like New Zealand are stripping away municipal powers, an executive with the Union of BC Municipalities says it's not that simple. 
it's not easy just to point finger at one part of the the process and say that's where the bottleneck is because it's uh, it extends right through from some cases provincial regulations through municipal and right through the to through the ability to actually construct uh, construct homes there are skilled labor shortages provincial environmental reviews that can take six months he says there's no one-size-fits-all for what is a complex issue but frustration is growing at the provincial level and housing quotas might be next seem to be coming down to kind of what we call mandatory housing targets where municipalities have to deliver um, a certain amount of housing and as the as the minister has said you, you you can decide where to put housing in your community, but you shouldn't get to decide whether to put it in your community. Ted Chernucky, Global News. A downtown Vancouver landmark is set to undergo a multi-year redevelopment and makeover. As Grace Key reports, not only does the new plan for the Hudson's Bay building include 1 million square feet of new office space over 12 stories, it will also preserve the building's original six-story heritage facade. The iconic Hudson's Bay store in downtown Vancouver is getting a major facelift. The century-old heritage exterior will be restored with a new 12-story tower on top, providing 1 million square feet of new office space for 5,000 employees, likely from the large tech sector. The flexibility is important in the workplace, but we're really bullish on office, and we're very bullish on Vancouver office. So we think people need the flexibility to work at home, but will be coming back to the office. And they'll be here with, again, transportation, retail options, and the Hudson's Bay store right in the building. The space will meet the trend for mixed-use projects. People will be able to work, eat, socially connect, and shop all under one roof. The current six floors of shopping will be downsized, converted into retail and restaurant space. From a retail perspective, we're fully reimagining the Hudson's Bay store experience. We know that Consumers today want options. They want to shop in-store and online. They want to visit a store. They want to be able to explore, interact, and connect with products and services that reflect their lifestyle. Transportation is also getting an upgrade. There will be storage for more than 1,500 bicycles with direct access from the street. The 1980 SkyTrain station is getting a full upgrade with improved access. The company is also emphasizing the buying power new workers will be bringing to the downtown core. One million square feet of space and about 5,000 employees. Those employees have an annual spending power estimated at $50 million per year. That will go a long way to help support the restaurants, the sporting events, the cultural events and activities and other businesses so vital to downtown. Various applications have yet to be submitted to the City of Vancouver. It will include public input. At some point, the Bay will have to shut its doors for construction, which could start as early as 2024. Grace Key, Global News. A lesson about slavery that gets an F grade from parents. Why our daughter? Why was our daughter subjected to that in front of her classmates, in front of her friends? What these parents say happened to their mixed-race daughter in class and why it's now the subject of an investigation. That's in just over a minute. A Romeo who's more like a robber. The romance scam that broke a few B.C. hearts coming up. And recent Hong Kong immigrants bring a taste of home with them. The pandemic project that's flying off the shelves later. 
Right now, though, a couple in Mission is speaking out tonight after they say their young daughter was singled out in a lesson in kindergarten class. Their child is biracial, and they say she was brought up to the front of the room during a lesson on slavery and used as an example. Kristen Robinson reports. This five-year-old Mission student is learning at home for now after her parents say she experienced a disturbing incident during class at Christine Morrison Elementary. I was worried for her. She's our treasure. Vincent Orovic says his daughter returned from school Tuesday and detailed her kindergarten music teacher's attempt to explain the concept of slavery. In her words, told me that uh, she was told to go into the four corners of the classroom by the teacher who was the master. His mixed-race child was the only student who appeared to be singled out in a demonstration about how American people dominated Africans. American people had dogs that could smell the African people, so the African people had to hide in the water to hide their scent. And our daughter's already afraid of dogs. I was in tears. Naomi Karanja and her husband question why this subject matter was introduced to a kindergarten music class. I come from Kenya and I'm so proud of it, but I felt sad for my daughter because of being singled out. Why was our daughter subjected to that in front of her classmates, in front of her friends? Mission Public Schools says the incident was not reported to the school or district, but it is now investigating. The superintendent says anti-racism and anti-oppression work is a key part of the district's social justice and equity work. I don't think an exercise like that uh, provides a safe place uh, for, for kids in our schools, and we're, we're certainly looking, uh, we'll, we'll be looking into that, uh, into that situation. It's all that keeps going through my head is why, you know, why. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Just ahead, concern about an imminent attack on Ukraine. The ultimate fear is just the loss of life that's going to take place. Locals react to the threat of war with a last-minute appeal to avoid it. And hoping for a break with loads of video evidence, still no arrests in the attack on the CGL pipeline. Busy but steady in both directions here tonight at the Portman Bridge, which is some leftover volume, mainly eastbound on Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Port Man Bridge. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. As the crisis with Russia escalates, Ukraine has now approved a nationwide state of emergency and appealed to Russia for peace. Here at home, the Lower Mainland's Ukrainian community is coming together to show support. Kamal Karmali is live in Vancouver with more on the latest developments overseas and the growing concern here. Kamal. 
Sophia, car rally started here at Vancouver City Hall at around 5 o'clock. Uh, these vehicles sporting Ukrainian flags and signs just did a few laps around downtown, now making their way back here just uh, actually at 30 seconds ago or so. And many of these people here are worried about the safety of their friends and family back it's well, adrenaline. Okay. It's adrenaline. Okay. This has become a daily ritual for Coquitlam resident Miroslav Petru scrolling through Facebook. We are in contact literally hour by hour, minute by minute. Checking in on his family in Ukraine. The fear, of course, is aerial bombardment. Worried with each passing day he may get news, the country is in an all-out war. They're ready to fight. Everybody. And I'm talking from grandmothers to, to kids. It's the story for many of BC's more than 200,000 Ukrainians. The ultimate fear is just the loss of life that's going to take place uh, should an invasion actually happen. Although the conflict between Ukraine and Russia has been ongoing since 2014, this time it feels different. We don't know where Ukraine will end up in a month, six months, a year from now, whether we will have a cultural homeland left. The conflict has escalated fast. Ukraine has imposed a nationwide state of emergency and told its citizens to leave Russia immediately, just as Russia evacuated its embassy in the Ukraine capital of Kyiv. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky says Russia has approved an offensive against his country and Russian President Vladimir Putin had not replied to his invitation to hold talks. On Monday, Putin had recognized the independence of separatist regions in eastern Ukraine, where a nearly eight-year conflict has killed more than 14,000 people. I am very concerned. Back in BC, Ukrainians are growing impatient, eager to pull their families out of the country to a neighboring nation or even bring them here to Canada. If our community members strongly feel that they... Uh, there is a need to relocate their loved ones. Uh, they should start getting prepared. So over a dozen ralliers here tonight, but that's because they say this was sort of a last minute uh, rally. People uh, dropping uh, you know, their plans on short notice to be here tonight. But a much bigger rally expected at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Tomorrow at 1 p.m., uh, Sophie and Chris, where they're expecting over 100 people. Mm -hmm. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that. Kamala Karmali reporting in Vancouver. A top RCMP official in northern B.C. is hinting police have identified at least two suspects in that violent attack last week on coastal GasLink employees. As Amatagahi reports, investigators are hoping surveillance video from the site near Houston will help track down the people who terrorized workers and did millions of dollars in damage. Who targeted a northern B.C. natural gas pipeline construction site? And what was the motive? Almost one week has passed, and despite some evidence now in clear public view, many questions remain. I am not aware of any details that we can share that would help the public identify who may be responsible. Police have released three videos appearing to confirm what the pipeline company and RCMP investigators have said from the beginning. A group of people masking their identity and breaking into Coastal GasLink worksite near Houston, B.C. in the middle of the night. Attacking pickup trucks with workers behind the wheel. One clearly using an axe, others equipped with bright lights 
and spray paint. This has uh, clearly been hit with an axe. You can see on the tailgate. The workers physically unharmed but traumatized. Their vehicles now part of the evidence. Here you can see he's inches away from the driver's arm. It's alleged about 20 attackers are responsible for an estimated $6 million in damage to equipment and facilities. And while RCMP say they're avoiding public speculation. Do you know who you're investigating? No, at this point we don't know. Tuesday, Chief Superintendent Warren Brown told the Prince George Post, we have no idea who the 20 plus are, but we have a good idea who one or two are. So we'll focus on the one or two for now and build it from there. Coastal GasLink says 60% of the $6.6 billion natural gas pipeline is complete, but the company adds work has stalled temporarily to allow for an investigation and cleanup. Emadagahi, Global News. Vancouver Island's major crime unit is investigating the death of a man in a remote forested area north of Ladysmith. Mounties were called to assist paramedics off a trail at Timberland Forest Service Road just after 5 p.m. Monday, where a man riding a, a dirt bike was fatally injured. According to Ladysmith RCMP, witnesses reported the, that a gun may have been fired in the area. Police were still on scene this afternoon. The BC coroner also conducting an investigation to confirm how he died. An Abbotsford man has been sentenced to 10 years in prison for a November 2020 attempted murder in Langley. Much of the violent incident was caught on camera. Back on November 17, 2020, a man and woman were found suffering gunshot wounds outside the Sandman Signature Hotel in North Langley. Dashcam video recorded moments later showed two men jumping from a burning vehicle. They were arrested nearby. Now, 24-year-old Joshua Mitchell Paz has been handed 10 years behind bars after pleading guilty to attempted murder. His co-accused, 24-year-old Ishan Mutnea from Chilliwack, pleaded not guilty and is scheduled to go to trial in April. An Alberta man with BC Connections has been charged after he allegedly swindled money from dozens of people in both provinces and police say romanced several women to keep the con going. Reports started coming into police in 2020 when several people said they gave money to the 36-year-old man in return for discounted items, including televisions. Last August, more complaints were made from people in Delta, Langley and Surrey. Victims say they paid for electronics that allegedly were never delivered. The offer of the product was made, the transfer of money was sent, and the product never arrived. It was supposed to be FedExed over, then it was FedEx lost the shipping, then it was now it's being held in customs and duty needs to be paid. And then it turns out that I guess it's just lost, I'll file a claim. In total, it's alleged Brian Christopher Sarita has collected more than $25,000 from his victims, from his alleged victims. He has been charged with more than a dozen fraud and theft-related charges, but nothing has been proven in court. Coming up, we'll reminisce a little bit about a Vancouver legend. No one ever came to Vise not to have a good time. The famous customers who always knew where to go for great food. And the risk of Omicron reinfection, what studies in Europe are telling us. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. 
you'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Good evening. Traffic is pretty steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is still some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The federal government has announced a multi-million dollar investment directed at more than 30 First Nations commercial fisheries enterprises. But as Kylie Stan reports, that funding comes at the same time the B.C. Salmon Farmers Association says almost 80 operations along the B.C. coast are running out of time to get their licenses renewed. It's been an upstream battle for Indigenous communities, calling for greater access to commercial fisheries and more of a say in how they're managed within traditional territories. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, the federal government signaled it's been listening. I'm pleased to announce a significant investment of $11.8 million for 52 initiatives to support First Nations commercial fisheries enterprises for the benefit of First Nations communities. The funding comes as part of the Pacific Integrated Commercial Fisheries Initiative, meant to support new business and training opportunities and increased fisheries access for 31 companies representing 117 First Nations across BC. The PICVI program is a shining example of what happens when you invest in First Nations business. But the influx of cash comes as 79 existing fish farm licenses are set to expire on June 30th of this year. According to a report produced by the BC Salmon Farmers Association, the government's failure to renew them could result in the loss of 4,700 jobs in BC and $1.2 billion in economic activity every year. This could be so devastating for uh, coastal communities, many of them Indigenous. You know, now is the time to be supporting a sustainable industry, not uh, cutting it off at the knees. While no commitment was made on the part of the minister, she did have this to say. Certainly our government wants to support workers and and employment uh, it, across a variety of sectors, including fisheries and aquaculture. The program will continue to be refined and improved, but the primary goal remains advancing reconciliation with Indigenous communities. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, today is Pink Shirt Day, as you might have uh, noticed, an annual event which began in 2007 after a grade 9 boy was bullied for wearing the color pink. This year marks the 15th annual Pink Shirt Day. Official Pink Shirt Day merchandise, including T-shirts, bandanas and toques, have been available at London Drugs. Most of it's sold right out. All net proceeds go towards youth anti-bullying programs throughout Western Canada. In 2021, over 50,000 kids were impacted by Pink Shirt Day funded programs. CKNW Kids Fund is a big part of it, of which I serve on the board. So thank you to everybody who supported it. Looking good in pink too there, so. Thank you. (laughs) Still to come, turning grandma's recipe into a growing business. The flavor, the aroma, the texture, It's just so unique and flavorful. How a pandemic hobby became a hot seller for a Vancouver couple. 
But first, Squire takes us back to Vancouver's original black neighborhood to feast on memories of the food that brought people together. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It seems not that long ago that we were setting warm weather temperatures for winter, and now we're kind of on the opposite end of the thermometer. Christy's got the details now. Thus is winter sometimes. It can fluctuate so much, Chris. Yeah, so record cold today, and we have the possibility of snow right here in the south coast. But first, I want to show you an image. Burnaby today, or pardon me, it was from yesterday, but nonetheless, a rare ice spike spotted, and this was from Kathy Bain, so thank you for sharing that with us. If you're curious how it was created, you can go to our website and just go Google or uh, put in the search engine ice spike, and uh, you'll get the reason behind that. Very cool. All right, today's record low, 17 across the province. Here were some of them. Uh, trail was the lowest at minus 17.4. Uh, Port Alberni minus 9.5. Victoria minus 6 and White Rock minus five, five, and it is going to be cold overnight tonight. So we'll drop down to minus four, minus five, but wind chills will be out through the Fraser Valley at minus 11, minus 12, and very cold in through the interior regions as well. We are slowly going to come out of this cold Arctic air as we head into the weekend. But in the meantime, tonight, this evening and overnight, we have the possibility of snow. Not very much, a couple of centimeters for the interior, uh, 10 centimeters for the Chilcotin, and it shifts out really quickly tomorrow and we're back to sunshine. But for the south coast, we could see a few flakes fall, so don't be surprised if you see that. The best chance of seeing any accumulations would be from Nanaimo down towards Victoria. And again, that's minor, minor. We're talking about a couple of centimeters max. Mostly it would just be a trace or nothing at all. Enjoy the sunshine tomorrow. Yes, the skies will clear and we're expecting sunshine not only tomorrow, but Friday and Saturday also as we climb out of this Arctic air mass. So lots to look forward to in the coming days. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from yesterday. Mount Baker, Norman Orm or uh, capturing this with the steam or the gas coming out of the top of Mount Baker on a beautiful blue sky day that we saw yesterday. Stunning shot. Thank you to Norman for that. Good reminder that thing's still active. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks very much, Christy. Mm-hmm. All right, we're bringing in Squire in now, not to talk about sports just yet, but a story that might make you hungry. In fact, we're always hungry here on the News Hour. So. <laughs> that is yep. true. Unfortunately, we um, can't satisfy our hunger with this restaurant because it hasn't been around since 1979. But there are a lot of Vancouverites and people outside of Vancouver, who many who are no longer with us, who very much enjoy dinner at Vi's Chicken and Steakhouse. Randy Clark grew up on Union Street near Maine in Vancouver when there were houses on the south side before viaduct construction erased the neighborhood which is now known as Hogan's Alley. And living there meant he was mere steps away from his grandmother's restaurant, Vi's Chicken and Steakhouse, which in this photo is the house right beside the building. It was a destination place, not necessarily just for the the good food, but just to say hello to Vi, and Vi would say hello back, and then they would talk about things. The restaurant would open at 5 in the afternoon, and it wouldn't close until the next day, literally. 7, 10 was the first wave, and the second wave came in at around 11.30 midnight till 4 in the morning. 
which made it a place to be for locals and out-of-towners, including a lot of famous entertainers who were in Vancouver for a show. Uh, Lena Horne, oh, Duke Ellington, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and his uh, dad and uncle. When they traveled, I'm sure they would have said up to others, when you're in Vancouver, uh, stop by Vise. The restaurant opened in 1948. Uh, and there were many people who worked in the restaurant, um, all, almost all women, most of them from this neighborhood. Vi's daughter, Adeline, who worked alongside her mother for years, closed down the restaurant in 1979, four years after Vi had passed away. The neighborhood, though, has never forgotten. Adeline and Vi are side by side on a mural that can easily be seen from where the restaurant stood on Union Street. And if you take a look at my grandmother, you can see that she's holding a platter. And uh, on that platter, I'm almost 100% sure, is a steak. Uh, representing Vi's Chicken and Steakhouse. Mm. I agree. I wish this place was still around. No kidding. Yeah. If not for the, I mean, the food, but also the conversation... And just the vibe. And so, there was 12 tables, apparently. And as Randy said, it was open till 4 in the morning, five nights a week. So many stories out of there, I'm sure. Very cool. All right, what's coming up in sports? And, of course, it was not too far from where Rogers Arena is now. Mm -hmm. and tomorrow night, the Canucks will be in Rogers Arena, and the heat will get turned up because the visitors are Calgary. They're playing at the, the top of their level right now. The Flames come into this game having won 10 in a row, which actually ties a Calgary team record for most wins in a row. Also tonight, a taste of success. How holy duck chili oil helped Hong Kong immigrants adjust to their new lives in B.C. Squire, you're going to stick with the food theme, are you? I guess I could. Yes. <laughs> um, the Canucks are feeling pretty good right now after that uh, win over the Kraken earlier in the week. But this is the food theme part. The Kraken were just appetizers. The full meal deal comes tomorrow night when the uh, Calgary Flames are at Rogers. And to be perfectly obvious and perfectly honest, the Flames are red hot these days. They can win in wide-open high-scoring games, or they can beat you in low-scoring defensive battles. They are now armed, of course, with former Canuck Tyler Toffoli, who joined a few other familiar faces for Canucks Nation in Calgary. The Flames are going to provide the Canucks a big test, to say the least. It's looking every bit of a Stanley Cup contender. Nobody's scored more goals in the Pacific Division, and nobody's allowed fewer goals against than the Flames. Beating the Kraken was one thing for the Canucks. Competing alongside the Flames, a whole different matter. Who knows if we could have picked it up even, even more than we did, you know. Uh, uh, but, I mean, if you're saying Seattle's not one of the stronger teams in the league and now we are playing one, we have to play much better against Calgary, I would believe, uh, to have the same result. A couple of faces are playing major roles for the Flames. Jacob Markstrom seldom leaves the crease, while Chris Tanev is a constant on Calgary's blue line. 
Tanev skated in all 49 games, logging over 20 minutes of ice time a night. Sound familiar? While Markstrom's been a main fixture between the pipes, starting all but 10 for the Flames. Obviously, if you watch their games, uh, they're playing at the the top of their level right now. I think, I hope it's the top of, the, of their game. I mean, they've been great. Um, it's a great challenge for us. I mean, uh, it's a great challenge for every team that the, they play, but you know, you either embrace the challenge or you're afraid of it, and hopefully we're going to embrace the challenge. Okay, one thing that has been picking up of late are trade rumors involving some of the top players on the Vancouver Canucks. We all know Jim Rutherford likes trading more than your average stockbroker, but he hasn't done anything yet since he took over the Canucks. Now, one of Vancouver's most sought-after players is JT Miller. A lot of teams with Stanley Cup aspirations and cap room would love to get him, but teams would have to give Vancouver a Don Corleone offer you can't refuse. Well, if we got McDavid in return, I would say it's okay. But uh, no, I mean, we don't even talk about it. I haven't talked one iota about uh, um, JT getting traded right or whatever. He's uh, he's the cornerstone right now, uh, one of the cornerstones of our team. And um, so, I mean, we just go on. And, and to me, that's all noise. I mean, it's it makes for great media. I love reading it. Uh, all the when they, they talk about trade deadline stuff, but uh, I haven't, uh, nobody's talked to me about anything. That is the first coach I've ever heard say I love reading trade rumors. Okay, another player whose uh, name has come up and always seems to, especially with his contract running out, is uh, Brock Besser, who has heard these rumors before. In fact, he's heard them so often, they don't affect him anymore. Um, no, to be honest, I mean, it's not really a worry of mine. Um, you know, I've been a big, you know, a big believer in saying whatever happens, happens. I've, you know, I've showed, and, uh, you know, I feel like I've said what I've, I've wanted to say and, you know, how much uh, this organization means to me. And, and um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's up to them. It's not my worry. And I just got to go out there and continue to contribute to our hockey team and help us uh, make this playoff push. If Major League Baseball and its players cannot come to a new labor agreement by next Monday, games will start being cancelled. And the commissioner's office says if they are cancelled, they won't be made up and therefore the players won't be paid for a full season. Now obviously this is a negotiating scare tactic to get things further along. Opening day is supposed to be March 31st. They did talk for five hours today, but the two sides are still far apart on the big issues. Okay, Canada, Spain, women's soccer. to talk over the, the anthem all right spain's a good team they're on a roll haven't lost an 18 straight coming into this one alexia pateas with that goal and that would be the only goal of the game in this contest canada had a chance here jordan heidema bc product Oh, that was as close as it's going to get without going in. Canada played well in this tournament, but they didn't win it. The Arnold Clark Cup went to England when all was said and done. Okay, there you go. Good effort. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, a Vancouver Couples Pandemic Project that'll make you say, holy duck. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. 
Well, making chili oil started as a way to stay connected to their roots in Hong Kong. But a Vancouver couple soon realized they were onto something. Their friends raved about it and soon convinced them it should be shared with the world. Catherine Urquhart has the story behind Holy Duck in tonight's Believe BC. So right now I'm just crushing the salted duck egg yolks into smaller, uh, or mushing it so it's a bit more uh, fine. Inside a shared kitchen in Vancouver, Christopher Fung is cooking up a family specialty, a recipe handed down from his wife's grandmother. So the preparation, the infusion of the aromatics can take hours. I'm talking about 10 hours plus. It's called, wait for it, Holy Duck. Well, that's the brand name. It's actually duck chili oil. I was looking for a good chili oil for myself to enjoy, and I go to the grocery store. All of them are imported. All of them have been sitting on the shelves for months or even over a year. A little bit of time. The husband and wife team moved here from Hong Kong at the beginning of the pandemic. Initially, they made the oil for loved ones, delivering it on their doorsteps. It's your favorite part. That taste of home, especially meaningful during Chinese New Year. Now, at the urging of friends and family, they're selling it. The duck fat gives a very uh, thick and uh, almost, I want to say, kind of like a creamy texture. It kind of coats your mouth when you, when, you, when you taste it. Fraser Valley Poultry is one of their suppliers, providing ingredients free of hormones and antibiotics. We're, we hope to, uh, I guess, in a way, educate people a bit more about our culture and they can enjoy our food. In just the first few months of business, they sold 1,000 jars. Holy Duck is available at five stores and online. Its creators hopeful it will soon be flying off store shelves. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Staff recommendation. You know they've got some good things in that store. You make staff recommendation, you got to try it. It's, it's ducking delicious, I have to say. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Bills does it cost? Oh, oh wow. interesting. Okay, Christy, you got oh, one for goodness. us. <laughs> no, I don't. All I got is cold weather on the way. It is freezing out here, you guys. Uh, so minus four, minus five overnight tonight. We still could see wind chills down to minus twelve. And don't be surprised if you see a few flakes fall from the sky. But we're really, if you do see any accumulation, it would be a trace, and that's about it. Victoria and Nanaimo, maybe a bit more. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.